The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Remain standing, take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. So we begin a new series called Amazing Grace. John chapter 1, not sure the length of the series. I am confident that I am carrying the word of the Lord this morning and that the series is in the will of God. There is, as I said earlier in the service, teaching that's like unto gangrene that has spread even through the body of Christ. There are whole books written that have partial truth and are causing people to go astray in their walk with the Lord. It is imperative that you understand what grace is. And this message this morning is by no means an all-encompassing message on grace, but it is uh, fashioned for the purpose of destroying one aspect of that which is being taught falsely. John chapter 1 Starting in verse 1, reading from the New King James. Are you ready? And uh, we do have notes for you. I think those are going around. If you don't have notes, then just wave your hand wildly and scream at the top of your lungs. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) Lift your hand. They'll bring that to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through Him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that although although through him, pardon me, that all through him might believe. Verse 8. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is him whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. Even in the moments that remain, service, move in great power, we pray. Release all that's in your heart in Jesus' name. And we thank and give you praise ahead of time. And all of God's precious people said, amen. You may be seated. Amazing Grace is, is my favorite hymn, I think. I have a number of favorites. Many of you know that. It's been, it's been declared and proclaimed in churches throughout the generation since the 1700s when it was penned by a man by the name of John Newton, a slave trader who was in a perilous storm and he met God. He called on God. His mother was a Christian and he, he called on the Lord and he, he wrote this song, Amazing Grace, which is really a story of his own testimony. And for me in my own personal testimony, I, I'm always moved in singing the hymns and being raised in a Presbyterian church 
and the Catholic Church almost simultaneously it's before I became a pagan, before I became a Buddhist, before I got saved. Grace. Everybody say grace. grace. If someone was to answer you, ask you, what does grace mean? And I had this happen uh, a number of times, but one that really stands out, Ivan Tate, who's a friend of ours and tremendous minister, and he'll be with us in the spring. Ivan Tate, I'm riding with him, and he said, so let me ask you a question as he pulls out his phone and he presses record. <laughs> he says, what does grace mean? Can you define grace for me? If you ask somebody to define grace, they will frequently say, well, that means favor. Grace means favor or unmerited favor is really the common answer to what is grace. Unmerited favor. But really, most people don't know what that means either. And so when you ask somebody what grace means, you'll get all kinds of different answers, some of which are biblical, some are not biblical. If you were to ask a Greek scholar, a Greek scholar would give us a epitomology of the word, which is charis. Epitomology is, is the study of words. The Greek word for grace is charis. And that basically means to be charmed or to be delighted. In fact, the, how many of you know the definition of words change as time goes on? At the writing of the, the New Testament, grace meant a gratitude over the fact that someone showed you favor. To the Apostle Paul, grace meant the gospel. In one, in one word, the, the Christian message was grace. There in your notes to the Apostle Paul, grace was the one word that summed up the Christian message. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, to Paul, grace was the gospel. It was the good news. That's what grace was. Grace was Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected. That was that's the gospel. That's the good news. And in fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, when Barnabas comes to Antioch, he says that he saw the grace of God in that people were being saved. Let me read you the text. Talking of Barnabas, when he came and, he, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. All that the purpose of the heart that they should be, that they should continue with the Lord is a picture of being saved. Paul in his letters would write, he would open his letters with the grace of God, you know, be unto you. And he would close his letters talking about the grace of God. In fact, if you look at the, at the writers uh, of, the, of the gospel and through the epistles, you'll see that they had an emphasis. The apostle Paul's emphasis, his theme woven throughout everything he wrote was about grace. John, that's not the case. Of course they wrote about other things as well, but you'll see grace through the whole thing with the Apostle Paul. With John, it was love. In the Gospel of John, it's love in his epistles, it's love. If you look at 2 Thessalonians, there's certain little nuances in Scripture that you miss if you're just casually reading. And here's one. This is neat. I want you to look with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 17 and 18. Paul had somebody that was, it was a secretary. They call it an amanuasis. Somebody that would write for him. He didn't do his writing for the most part. But he would sign the end of his letters, usually like he did here in 2 Thessalonians 3, 17 and 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. In other words, he didn't write the letters. He dictated them and somebody wrote them for him. But he would write at the end of the letters. And it was like putting your signature on somebody. Anybody ever sign a business letter or you sign a document? I mean, that's your signature. And this was his signature in a way so that when the letter went out to the different churches at different areas, they knew it was the Apostle Paul because they could see his signature and his handwriting. And he says, uh, this is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And he, I just think he wrote it like big and fancy. He wrote in his, hand, his own handwriting. Fascinating. 
And it's because grace is what defined his life and defined his testimony. You see his testimony written a number of times in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, it tells about a young man. His name is Saul. He got hit by God so hard, knocked the S off, and gave him a P, and his name was Paul thereafter. Actually, he was named Paul later on. But his name was Saul, and he so hated the church. He so hated Christians that he got a special dispensation from the high priest. He got a letter to go to Damascus to persecute the church. He hated Jesus. Jesus, of course, was in his mind was dead. And he hated the church. And so he went with these letters to Damascus to arrest people. He was the guy that held the cloaks and the coats of those who caused the death of the first martyr. The gift you only give once. And so while he's on his way, he heard a voice, he saw a light, and he falls to the ground, and God speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And to summarize it, he says, well, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Which is interesting because he wasn't persecuting. In our mind, you're persecuting me means that you would persecute me. You're saying something against me. Jesus says you're persecuting me. Who is Paul persecuting? Paul's persecuting the church. Who is the church? His body. Don't ever miss that. Oh, I need to kick something in the teeth while I'm standing there. In, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, whoever destroys God's temple, God will destroy him in hell and fire. In the context of that, now I've used that to talk about suicide, to dissuade people from taking their own lives because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Okay. But in the context of what that is written in, it's talking about the church. It's talking about anybody that destroys the church, anybody that destroys his body, anybody that speaks ill and causes dissension, you know, watch out because he's got spankings for that person and even judgment, it says. That's what the context of that, don't look at me with that religious tone of voice. You could go read it yourself. Everybody say grace. Grace. The apostle Paul experienced the grace of God. Now, this text tells us grace is personified, incarnate. In Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what grace is, you look at Jesus. So it's more than just say, well, grace is just unmerited favor. Most people here don't even know what that means. So what is grace? Grace is personified. If you were to if you were to take all that grace meant and go poof and make it a living being, it would be Jesus. Personification. Let's take a look at the text. Jesus is God. Everybody say that. Jesus is God. There will be people that knock on your door and try to tell you otherwise, but they're wrong. And uh, we get into that in some of our, our first steps in new believers classes and realities classes that we have. Jesus is God. They'll teach you that he isn't, but he clearly is. Jesus is God. He is called the Word who is in the beginning. He was with God and is God. All of these are sermons, and I just need to move through them for a moment. He made all things. He is creator. Come on, somebody say, Jesus is creator. Yeah, it's the three-in-one God. He is life and light. John the Baptist gave testimony of Jesus that he was the light. And what's so tragic is, look at B, he was not recognized by the world or his fellow Jews, but to those who received him by faith became God's children. It's a favorite scripture of mine. Too many has received him, verse 17. For as many as, pardon me, what verse is that? It's in there somewhere. There it is. To as many as received him, and he gave them a right to become children of God. So there's some who didn't receive him, who, who didn't even know that he was God. They're born again, just as John says in John chapter 3. Look at C. The word became flesh. God became man. That's what Emmanuel means. Come on, Emmanuel. God with us. That's what that means. So the word became flesh. God became a man and dwelt among us. And because of that, we see, we've seen what grace and truth is. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He came out of heaven, died on a cruel Roman cross so that you could be a part of his family. In Jesus, we've received the fullness of grace, 
Look at verse 16. In Jesus Christ, we receive the fullness of his grace. And the picture of that is that it never ends. One writer said that grace is an ocean and the waves come one after another in such a way that there is no end. The grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Wow. Now, let's probe this a little closer. Look at Roman numeral 3. Jesus, as I said, is grace incarnate. And he's seen in his words and deeds. In the word, he would say, Jesus said, I, I am come, showing that God has taken initiative to come to us. Religion is man reaching after God. Every other religion is man reaching to God. Every other one. Every other one, Pastor. Every single religion on the face of the earth, without exception, is man reaching to get right with God. Christianity is the only one where God reached to man by sending his own son in the likeness of man. Fully God, fully man, taking your sin, taking mine, redeeming us, washing us, cleansing us from all who believe by the grace of God. He's come to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Do not think I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Everybody say fulfill. Fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of the pen shall pass until all is accomplished. And there is a great push amongst the false teachers. Look, they're on TV. They're on Christian TV. It's all over the place. There's a great push to really ignore the Old Testament and say things like this. And you're going to think I'm a heretic the second I say it. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Now, for those of you that are bold, how many of you believe that? Thank you. I've got one person. Either you're scared or you don't know how many of you believe that. You're not under law. You can raise your hand. Go ahead. <laughs> You're like, he's going to come picking at me. You trying to twist words, pastor, what you doing? No, we're not under law. We're under grace. But what actually does that mean? What does that mean? Grace isn't earned. It's given, someone said. I didn't, I didn't hear what was in the back. But the, the truth is this. The Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament laws, regulations. He filled it or fulfilled it all. Do you have to obey the Ten Commandments? Let me mess with you a little bit more. Do you have to obey the Ten Commandments? Absolutely yes. Can you? Say no. Okay, so what are, is the Ten Commandments in the law? Yes, it basically is the law. I mean, just think of the Ten Commandments as the law. Do you have to obey the Ten Commandments? Yes. Can you? No. And that is what it means that Jesus came to fulfill all of that. All the righteous requirements of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus. And when you be, oh, I might preach this morning. When you believe on him, you're forgiven. Not by any works that you did, but there's a tension there between the Old Testament and the New. And you need to carry that tension. You need, to, you need to believe and try and do your best. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Paul says it this way. Romans chapter 10 verse 4. For in Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. I love the amplified. Let me read that to you. For Christ is the end of the law. The limit at which it ceases to be. For the law leads up to him who is the fulfillment of its types and shadows and in him the purpose which it was designed to accomplish is fulfilled. That is the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as the means of righteousness, right relationship with God for everyone who trusts and adheres to and relies on him. 
The law was given as an expression of his character and what righteousness really is. You read through the Ten Commandments and you understand what righteousness really is. And you understand that you cannot do it. And what Jesus did is he fulfilled all the types and all the shadows, dying in your place and mine. And then when we believe on him, we're made righteous, even the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 be a great chapter to memorize. There's so many people quoting 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think they ought to memorize Romans 8, 9. Even the whole book of Romans. And you'll begin to walk as a new creation, as it says in 1 Corinthians. You'll begin to live as a new man, knowing that the old one has been crucified. Instead of claiming forgiveness all the time, you can walk in newness of life. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. The righteous requirements of law were met in Jesus. John 10, verse 10 says, A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. John 12, verse 46, I've come into the world as a light so that no one... Pardon me, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Aren't you glad that Jesus made a way for you? Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to destroy the works of the devil, to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the king, and he invites us to enter his kingdom. His kingdom is not a geographical place, although there is a place called heaven, but the kingdom of God is more than just heaven. It's not a geographical place where the king is, so is the kingdom. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the bylaws of the kingdom. And we enter into his kingdom not by dying and going to heaven. We enter into his kingdom by receiving him as king. That is the only way to enter into the kingdom because you can't earn it. Right, how do we experience his grace? Now, we're in a series. So after the first uh, service we had, I had some people asking me about once saved, always saved, and had some questions about, uh, there's no way I can tackle the whole topic in one message. Somebody said, do you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? Absolutely, positively, no, I don't. There's really two camps. We've talked about it before. There's Calvinism and Arminianism. We lean more towards Arminianism. And that's a whole nother ball of wags. And by God's grace, we'll get to that at another time. How can we experience his grace? How do we experience his grace? There's two things. The first thing is repent. Everybody say repent. See, repentance is not something that's popular in many churches. It's not preached. It's not, it's, it's, people see it as like a negative thing. If somebody says, repent, they think of the guy wearing the sandwich board standing outside of, on a street corner, screaming his head off, repent, turn and burn. It's true. How many of you know it's true? Okay, Jesus talked about hell. Say, so I, don't, I don't like my message, I like hell. Listen, if you don't have a revelation of hell, you'll, you'll not really have a real understanding of salvation. <laughs> he saved you from a whole lot more than any of us here know. When Peter preached on that day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Acts chapter 3, if you'd put it up, verse 19. Turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. That is the message of the apostles. That's the message of the apostle Paul. That should be the message of the church. If you don't know you're lost, I mean, how are you supposed to get found? And, and many, many of the false grace teachers say this, that Jesus died for the sins of the world. How many of you know that's true? Amen. That's true. Yeah. However, to as many as believed on him, he gave them the right. So you need to believe, but in believing is really talking about Acts chapter 3 here. Repent also. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. 
Now, if you don't know that, you've, that, you're, that you're in sin or that you have a sin problem, then you'll never repent. And if you never repent, then you're really not forgiven. So they say that everybody's saved just because you're part of the human race and Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. It's the grace of God. We've had people you know, even in the, in, in the assemblies of God and main, main, you know, the church of God and denominations are passing out books that are absolutely false teaching. And they say things like, we're into the grace message. And we're into the grace message too. But it's not a sloppy agape where you can just go on and live however you want to. The message of the church should be Luke 24. And you need to turn there. And this is Jesus, Luke 24, 46 through 48. He said to them, thus it is written, and thus it is necessary that Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That is the message. The message is Jesus died for you, rose again from the grave for you. If you repent and believe, you shall be saved. That is the gospel. There is no other way to make it to heaven. You could attend church. You could, you could give all that you have. You could surrender your body to the flames. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to be saved. And this is what it means to receive the grace of God, the power of God to cover your sin. Acts 26, verse 20. The Apostle Paul said, But I declared first to those at Damascus and in Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent. They should what? They should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Repentance is the action that you take. It's the action that you take to, uh, to release the grace of God. The grace of God is it's the, it's the unmerited favor. Yeah, well, how do you get unmerited favor? Repent. How do, you get, how do you release the power of God in your life? You repent. 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 Re, rethink. You change your mind. You begin to think differently. You don't, you don't do the things you used to do. Listen, some of you, some of you know full well you're not going to heaven. And you know it. And you keep living the way that you're living because you take his kindness for weakness. He's not kind and slack as some count. He's long-suffering he's, he's long and he's patient. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Even repentance is, a, is the grace of God, a gift from God. Repentance is a gift. But it's the action that you must take to enter into his grace. You go, okay, pastor. So when I came to Christ, since Christ died in my place, rose again, and he gave me forgiveness of sins, right? Right. So are my sins forgiven, my past sins forgiven? Yes. Are my present sins forgiven? Are my future sins forgiven? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Are you sure? Do you know what my job is? My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. That's what my job is. So I'm, I'm trying to equip you. I'm, I'm going to tell you that most people have no clue about what they believe about what truth is in the word. And I'm just trying to teach you and help you. Let's read some scripture. Let me give you this illustration. Past, present, future sins. Forgiven? Many said yes. Okay. Let me ask you to um, hold your breath, but just for a second here. We're going to do this together. You're going to hold your breath. Are you ready? So I want you to take it on the count of three. I want you to breathe in really deeply and hold your breath and do not breathe again forever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hold your breath. And I, and I don't want anybody passing out. I mean, you got people here that you got some divers and different people that hold their breath for four minutes or something. I can hold my breath pretty long. Hold your breath to the point where, you know, you feel like you want to take another breath now. All right. Are you ready? It's an illustration. Everybody do it. In the count three. One, two, three. Hold your breath. Good. 
Good enough for illustration points. Okay, you can go ahead and let your breath out. Grace is like that. Grace is like air in the room. You have to breathe. All right, praise God. Lord, forgive me. Oh, there's forgiveness. Praise God. But you're going to have to breathe again. It's not just a one-time thing and you're covered. Now you can just go do whatever you want and you got a free pass to just go and shag and sin and do whatever you want to. I don't know what the definition of that is. If you want to go to the urban dictionary, you certainly can. You have to continue to breathe if you're going to live. Repentance is, is, is more than just a one-time thing. And, they, and it is a one-time thing of really believing the Lord and being born again. So how do you know you were born again? You know. You know down in your knower. If you can't remember when you first gave your heart to Jesus, you might not have. There will literally be a transformation in you. You'll sense it. And the truth is, even if you don't, if you declare, because I've seen people that have come from very abusive families. And, and when they receive the Lord, they don't feel anything. And they don't feel the presence of God. I cannot imagine living without the presence of the Lord. I can't imagine that. But they don't feel God's presence. They don't feel the love of God. They have, their feelings are shut down because of great abuse that took place in their homes. We've seen that over and over again. They're numb to, to feeling uh, the presence of the Lord and to feeling loved. And they're just, they're just shut down. And then I, I've seen them as they serve God by faith, not by their feelings. They just trust and obey the word. Then I've seen them get rebooted. How many of you ever had to reboot your computer? I've seen them rebooted, even in services where they never felt anything. And all of a sudden, they're feeling God's presence. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's God. So grace is like breathing. And many people don't understand that it's repentance. It's an ongoing repentance that enters you in. It's the mechanism. Repentance is the mechanism for releasing the grace of God. Okay. In much of the grace, the false teaching that's out there, there's no talk of repentance at all. And it's simply not biblical. It's wrong. The Jews made a mistake and they felt that, well, they have got a covenant with, with Moses. And, um, and so because of this special covenant that they're just immediately going to go to heaven, that's not a biblical concept. There's no heaven without repentance. Look at three, not just repentance at salvation, but a lifestyle of repentance. Let me read some of these verses of scripture to you and my time is up. Pastor Alex, would you come? Revelation 2, 5. This is John writing the church there in the book of Revelation. He says to the church, these are believers. These are not pagans. These are believers, he says. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. He's telling the church to repent. Do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. Whoa. Unless you repent. Revelation 2.16. Repent or else I will quickly come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What? It's Jesus talking to the church. He said he's going to come and fight against his church with the sword of his mouth. I don't think so. I don't want that fight. Come on, somebody say amen. Great. Well, how do you get out of that fight? By repenting. He tells him to repent. Revelation 2, 21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She did not repent. Indeed, I'll cast her into a, sick of, a bed of sickness. A sick bed. Those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds so judgment's going to come unless they repent of their deeds how do you get away from judgment repent how do you release the grace of god repent and live a lifestyle of repentance verse 23 of revelation 2 i will kill her children with death and all and all the churches shall know that i am he who searches <laughs> Some of you think like, is that in the New Testament? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. This is not very encouraging to me, Pastor. We'll wake up. Smell the coffee. Revelation 3.3. 3. Writing to the church once again. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. 
Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour upon which I come. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This has been used, verse 20, has been used by evangelists for decades, for decades for salvation. It is totally out of context. The context of behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will, let's read it. I don't want to mess it up. Revelation, where is it? 320, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We've used that for salvation and altar calls. It is absolutely, positively out of context. The context is Jesus talking to the church and he's outside the church. He's not even in the building. He's not in the building and he says, repent and I'm going to come in. It's a dead church. Listen, there is dead church out there. There are people that are not preaching the gospel. They wouldn't even say the word repent because, oh, the tithers would get upset and leave. Leave. Leave if you want to. I'm, I'm obligated to stand before, before the Lord and before you to preach the truth. You, If you're living in fornication and you're living a lifestyle that's not in accordance with the word, you are not going to heaven. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just telling you. That's the truth. Oh, but I've got the grace. You don't have grace unless you repent. I know it's not fun. It's not happy, but it's happy if you repent. If you, if you, if you don't repent, well, you're going to die. Look at your neighbor and say, aren't you glad you came to church for the first message this morning? Grace, praise the Lord. So many more scriptures. Repentance is a mechanism by which grace is appropriated in your life. The second thing is faith, which is also on your notes. Repentance, a lifestyle of repentance, and faith. Faith, you got to believe. to receive God's grace humility it takes humility to repent James 4 6 God gives resists the proud but gives grace to the humble Matthew 23 12 whoever exalts himself will be humbled he who humbles himself will be exalted when we repent we release the grace of God generally stupid when it comes to relationship listen to me I'm going to help you right now you know we're just you know we got big egos usually and you know we're just wired up in a way that's not sensitive to our wives to women and, and to other people sometimes and so you can get in an argument with your wife because you didn't do something or, or say something because you, you didn't understand or, or judge her need and you were just headlong for you. And, and you might get the silent treatment. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you ever got the silent treatment, but if you get the silent treatment, dude, you probably did something wrong. And you're gonna need to repent. And when you repent, she'll forgive you for the foolish thing that you did, usually. But what would happen if you didn't repent? What would happen if you didn't go and talk to your wife? Come on, all of you married couples. You didn't go and talk to your wife. And it can go the other way also. What would happen after a while in that marriage? What do you think would happen? You wouldn't be married. The thing will fall apart very quickly. That is the way it is with grace. It's the way it is. You need to breathe. You need to repent and be forgiven. But then, you know, so many say, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, you are. As you stay in Christ. 
and you stay in him by living in repentance and drawing near to him in prayer and through, through giving, fasting, and praying. Did you get that? Let me read this and then we'll close. D.L. Moody, great preacher of a bygone era, says this. It is well that man cannot save himself. For if man could only work his own way to heaven, you would never hear the last of it. <laughs> Why, if man happens to get a little ahead of his fellows and scrapes a few thousand dollars together, you'll hear him boast of being a self-made man. I've heard so much of this sort of talk that I'm sick and tired of the whole business. And I am glad that through all eternity in heaven, we will never hear anyone bragging about how he worked his way to get there. You know why? Because it's all by grace. Stand up on your feet. Pastor Alex, sing, would you? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. and I've gone just a touch long so you'll forgive me ushers would you please come bringing the communion to the front of the church in the context of communion and it is an open communion so anybody can receive that that wants to you don't have to be a member of the church or anything like that and we don't believe in transubstantiation which is basically the cracker becomes his actual body and the juice becomes his actual blood and it is juice it's not wine because we never want to stumble uh, those who former alcoholics in first corinthians chapter 11 the apostle paul said he rebukes them and he says you're receiving the Lord's Supper in a way that's not worthy. And that is why many of you have fallen asleep. Now, when he says fallen asleep, he says die. That's why many of you died early. And many are sick because they did not judge the body and the blood of the Lord. They did not examine themselves. He's talking to the church. And he says, because they did not receive communion in a way that's worthy. Listen, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a place where I'm preaching a message of popularity here. This is the truth of God's word. It's a tension between, you know, living right for him and the grace of God and, and judgment. That You have to repent. If you don't, you're going to stand in judgment. In the age to come and now, you'll be held accountable. I'll be held accountable. So he says, when you receive communion... Do it in a manner worthy. What does that mean? That means you do it with repentance and you say, God, forgive me. Jesus said this on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it and he took the blood and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body. My blood was just broken and shed for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? He said, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering that he died and he rose again. And we're remembering he's coming back. We're also remembering that, he, that by his stripes we're healed. And so it's through repentance. This is either a cup of blessing or a cup of cursing. This is a biblical understanding of communion. Okay. Now I told you. And if you don't want to receive communion because you know you're going to go back out and do the same thing that you were doing, I respect you for that. If you know you're going to. But you say, well, what if I'm really struggling with something? Look, repent. Ask God to change you and help you. Amen. And then you receive communion and you go right ahead and you, you go out there and you ask God for help. 
All right, let's begin to come for those of you that want to from the from the back, please. If you begin to come. ask the Holy Spirit to put his finger on things that are displeasing him. Lord, show us things that we need to repent of. Lord, we're just sorry. Forgive us. Forgive us for where we've fallen short, wrong thoughts, attitudes, and motives. Forgive us, Lord, for where we've failed you, perhaps, where we, where we didn't heed your voice. God, we thank you, Lord, for forgiveness because what you did for us on Calvary on the cross come on just examine your heart examine your life and just repent like man I'm here again repenting again yeah that's the wave after wave of the ocean of his grace you can begin to experience his goodness you can change ask him to change you right now Thank you, Lord. 
So Lord, we receive what you did on the cross, what you did even by the 39 stripes on your back, and we receive your healing, we receive your forgiveness. And we know, as it says in your by in the word, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we receive your healing and your forgiveness right now. There's a number of you here, you've been going to church a long time. You need to recommit your life to the Lord. Do it right now. You know how. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to come and be your Lord, be your Savior. Recommit. Recommit your life. You're made to worship Him. Everything else won't work. It's just the way He made us. So we receive your forgiveness and declare your soon return. Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's eat and drink together. Hallelujah. Curse of sin is broken. Hallelujah. Well, take someone by the hand if they don't have shards of plastic. They're... It's uh, not a doctor. I can't quote to you scripture or doctrine for breaking the cup, but it's a symbol of broken chains. It's a symbol of broken curses. Father, thank you for what you've done today, that you have released your grace, repentance, a mechanism to release your power for healing and forgiveness and transformation, even translating us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son grace to grace we're not under law we're under grace because you fulfilled all the righteous requirements and we enter into that through repentance and by faith and we thank you for the grace of God in our lives bless your people cause your face to shine upon them lift up your countenance towards them be gracious to us keep us give us peace in Jesus name amen don't miss tonight, 6 o'clock, be flowing in the Holy Ghost and preaching on cults and how to recognize them. Leaders meeting at 5. God bless you. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.